This program is made possible by the friends and partners of Curator Ministries. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the table. I am your host, Maria Reynolds, and I'm in the studio today with my husband, Doug, and my man, Sam, over here producing us. Um, we in the Reynolds household are in the thick of all the fall things. We've got sports and competitions and all the things, uh, midterms coming up. And so there's this crunch time, a lot of pressure on the kids, a lot of pressure on the parents. Um, and so from that has manifested some several hard conversations with some of our kids, Sam, um, about the amount of pressure they're putting on themselves and how to kind of manage and walk that out in a healthy way. And that's really where um, today's topic was birthed out of uh, was this idea of this thing that they've coined toxic achievement, right? And it's this feeling of never doing enough, never being enough, never excelling enough, just not enough. Um, and with in our household, it's manifested in this way. Um, our daughter um, is part of this uh cheer squad that's very competitive and when i say that i i don't think i've ever met 13 nine and ten year olds that work as hard have the work ethic that these do i that is not an understatement these these 13 girls just are just incredible uh incredibly hard workers and um they're going into their final competition of the season um this this coming weekend and the coach has kind of made some um alterations to part of their routine to try to kind of make up some points that they had a deficit on you just fix some flaws right that's what that's what coaches do they fix flaws and so my daughter comes home and is just emotional because she's like, I cannot, I, she's, I've done it this way for so long, mom, I cannot retrain myself this new way. I'm not going to get it in time. And I'm going to be the reason why my entire, you know, you know, team, you know, doesn't score well. And so she, she has layered this because on this particular day, the next day would also have been a very big exam for her at school. She had tumbling that night. Um, she'd come off of tumbling the day before. It had just been a, just almost like a rapid fire week right and so it was a wednesday night and we had church all the things and i was like okay here's what we're gonna do claire um you are zoomed out and you were looking at this scenario from a 30 30,000 foot viewpoint and it looks overwhelming to you that's obvious so what we're gonna do is we're gonna zoom in and we are gonna take this one piece at a time so what we're gonna do is you're not gonna go to church tonight you're gonna stay on with dad and dad's going to help you with this test. And so for 30 minutes, you're going to work on this test. You can get this under your belt. And the next thing you're going to do is that you're going to go take a bath and you're going to relax and you're going to get out of that bathtub. You're not going to go to gymnastics. You're going to be a kid for the next two hours. You're going to just chill, do whatever it is you want to do. But for two hours, you're going to be a kid and you're going to unplug. And then when mommy gets home after work, we're going to take this thing that's insurmountable to you we're going to break this down one piece at a time and we're not going to move on from this piece to the next piece until this piece you've got and that was like a burden lifted off her because she had some guidance and we kind of broke this thing down to bite-sized chunks where she could digest it and she was able to flow and, and was able to you know get the get the routine down that she needed 
But that got me thinking about like how much pressure she was putting on herself. And was that pressure pressure that I put on her? Was that pressure that her coach put on her? Or was it just pressure she was borrowing for herself? And I think it would be the latter. Because I can guarantee you the two adults in the scenario would never want her to walk away feeling emotional and feeling overwhelmed. Well, that very day I'm talking to um, my son who's in college and he's reporting much the same. He's in the, he's in the throes of preparing for midterms. It's his first midterms in college. So this is un, unchartered territory for him. Um, and he's just talking to me about how overwhelmed and anxious that, that he's feeling. Um, and, and I said, okay, I said, well, let, let, let's break this down because you, what, what you're, up against is no different than the 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 what you had to, to do in high school the the, you know, the caliber of the work is not that much harder right so why is your response to it so different and when he actually started peeling back the onion he disclosed that it was just this feeling that i'm going to fail that what i'm doing isn't enough and that i have to do more it's not okay just to do okay on an exam i have to do excel on the exam that you know he felt like there was this pressure um that i would say was borrowed doug i don't think we've ever put this type of pressure on the kids that he could not just do well he had to excel at all these things and so we had a hard conversation and i sit down i said i want you to list all the things that are stressors to you right now from joining the fraternity to choosing the school you went to went to to the classes you chose you tick it down, make a list, and you tell me how many things on that list were things that you wanted for yourself versus things that you thought other people wanted or expected of you. And there were literally two things, Doug, on that entire list this child could identify was things that he wanted for himself, maybe three. He was unsure about the third. <laughs> and I said, well, that in and of itself is part of the problem. These are things that you're that you are borrowing from other people, expectations you're putting on yourself that aren't even real. And I said, what you're doing is you are layering yourself with your successes and your accomplishments like you would layer it in the wintertime with different layers of clothes, because I don't think that you think at your core that you are enough. Like we have to explore why you are placing value, your direct value as a person onto your accomplishments and your successes because those are not the reason that we love you. You're valuable to us because you're a part of our family and you add value to our family because you are who you are. It has nothing to do with what you what you achieve. Right? I don't I don't think maybe I don't even understand it fully. I don't think that sometimes we understand the difference between a success and an accomplishment or an achievement. Like I was thinking about that with Claire like she was putting all this time trying to learn this routine and she may go on Saturday and do beautifully. And if she does beautifully, then she succeeded at a performance. She may go on Saturday and not. And then she failed in a performance, but that would not have been her accomplishment or her achievement. Her accomplishment and her achievement was to learn how to work with 13 other girls and the work ethic that she learned at 10 years old that most people don't get until they're an adult. And so I started like just thinking about that. Like, how many times do we layer ourselves and place value on our on our on ourselves based on accomplishments, our successes, and our on our and our performances, and we avoid failures because the thought of failing cripples us. 
which I don't know if you can identify with this, but I have learned more through my failures than I ever have my successes. I don't know. What do you think, Doug? What's well, interesting you say that. I think it's you have to decide who's getting to define failure and success. Mm. And so you take like Claire's um, uh, performance this upcoming Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, she would probably at this point define success as winning the grand championship, right? Absolutely. But here's the question. Would she rather win the grand championship and deep down know that her performance, her team's performance, was the second best? Or would she rather, in her own mind, believe and feel in her heart that her performance was the best, even though the judges saw it differently? Mm-hmm. And which way would she rather it happen? Right. I would guess it probably at this stage, she'd say, give me that trophy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, you know, maturity and is being able to say, I believe our performance was the best. And whatever the judges, uh, you know, obviously we we prefer that recognition and all mm-hmm. the judges because we felt we earned it. But deep down, would much rather be in the latter, that they perform, that they believe that theirs was the best, and if the judges don't see it that way, so be it. I agree with that. And I think that part of that is defining what success looks like for us. And you and I have talked about this before, and, and, I'm, and this is the throes of where we're at in our household, is we have a, a, a child that's a junior in high school, and we're just now starting the conversations of where, what would you think, what would you like to study in college? You know, where do you think you'd like to go to college? Or does a trade school fit you better? We're having those conversations now. Um, and in our mind, it's to do the best that we can to set him up for success. We'll then define success. Success to us may look very different than success to him. You know, and I think about for myself, I find myself even comparing myself for the longest time and still do sometimes, Sam, if I'm honest, with other people and what their accomplishments are and that that is the bar of success. I have some very accomplished friends and family. Um, And when I'm honest with myself and I think about what what would a successful life look like for me, if I'm honest, what it looks like is getting to do the things that I love. And for the majority of my life, and even still, the thing that I love the most is raising my children. So my husband affords me that luxury. I get to stay home and be a full-time, 100% present mom. That's something that I love. I love being able to minister to people, and I love the idea of being able to help people. Well, I, I think I'm achieving that. So if, I'm, if I sit back and I zoom, zoom out and have a 30,000-foot look of my life, I am successful, though I don't I don't make the money or have the accolades that a lot of my peers do. Um, But I am successful by the way that I define success. And I think that that's so important that we are honest with ourselves and, and, and allow other peoples to be honest with themselves about what their success looks like. And that it all looks very different. What do you think? Oh, definitely agree with that. And when you hear other people, um, I think whenever you take time to be thankful for the things that you're getting in your life that you actually really do enjoy, I think it makes it that much easier to, whenever things don't go your way to say, okay, well, you know, yeah, I'd like to have more accolades. I'd like to, you know, um, have more people, you know, listen to our sermon or listen to the show. But I'm so thankful that I get this opportunity um, to reach people. And I appreciate the people that tune in and, and that in the lives that, that, that affects them. Mm-hmm. What do you think about this idea that they've coined it, this 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 toxic achievement, like this constant pressure 
that people feel to excel. I, I read this statistic, um, though my son Grant challenged me on it, to be honest. And if you know Grant, you know that that, that, that is very much in his personality, where this is the first generation of children that have it worse than their parents, right? That their health is worse, that their mental well-being is worse, um, that the level of anxiety and depression is, is higher in our children than in, than in our demographic and that this feeling of not being enough and feeling like oh, I have to put in more hours of work I have to you know take the hardest classes in high school I have to get into the best college that this level of pressure that the kids are feeling in high school and that it reminds me of you know the high school uh, high school um, youth ministers here did a did a did a, a little exercise with the kids and her class and was like what is just name your fear we were talking about fear like fear not being rooted from god just name your fear and she bought an overwhelming amount where it was a failure a fear of failure that that was their biggest fears fear of failing or disappointing their parents and so i think where in the world have we got this thing off the rails where this kind of pressure is being put on our kids and if i'm honest doug i think back to the way that we have parented and I have to own some of it for myself. And maybe you had a different experience. But when we were new parents, any time that the kids had a hiccup academically in school and we had to go in and talk to the teacher or the administration about there being an issue, there was this feeling like, whether they meant it or not, there was this feeling like our children's academic success or failure was directly tied to our parenting. And because of that, I felt like there was this immense pressure to fix the problem, that I had the power to fix the problem by pushing them or giving them more resources or fill in the blank. That, And then I have to sit back and think, well, did I put that kind of pressure on them? And did they start to feel that from me and then start to place their value on that performance? Because if I'm honest, I felt the pressure of their performance. I don't know. Did you have that experience too? Oh, I, I 100% did. I 100% do. And I think it's 100% intentional. All really? Three. Oh, yeah. Um, I think they look at it as, hey, we're doing all this at school for this kid. It's clearly your fault that whatever is not going right. And I, I've sensed that. I don't really? think that that's – I think that's intentional. Maybe okay. just their perspective. Um, but I definitely think that is the case. What do you think it translate th- translates then into these helicopter parents? Because I'll be honest, that's where it landed me. The helicopter parent. I had a, a gentleman at just make make the the comment just the other day. Um, I caught myself in the space where I was a helicopter mom. I caught myself in the space where I was looking at the app because now there's apps that you know we get their grades on and we get reports and all the things. Now, this was different than when you and I were coming up. Our parents got progress reports and they got report cards. And if you got a phone call from the teacher in the middle of the week, <laughs> you were toast. Like the sky was falling. But my mom, in between those those two reports, didn't really probably have a real good gauge or actively engage, other if I came to her with homework needs, once I got to a certain age, um, with my academics. You know what I mean? And so I felt myself that every time I would see the email, Doug, that, you know, a progress report or a grade posting, because now you get post prompts every single grade that's posted, I would get this anxiety, like, and I would get angry. And I felt myself like I was angry all the time. 
with the kids frustrated all and I felt like all I was doing was like badgering them and pushing them and be like you gotta do better and so I had to actively make the decision I'm going to unplug from this this is not healthy right at some point they have to learn to self-govern I'm still going to be there to support them when they need help with school work and I'm obviously more engaged with the younger ones than I am the older ones but at some point I'm not going to be with Marshall at University of Louisville being like did you get your homework done can I have access to your blackboard so I can know what homework you had this week that's not reality I'm not going to be with my kids when they go into the workforce well did you get to school or did you get to work on time today did you do the task that your boss asked you to do today that's not reality right and so he said, you know, I bet you know every single grade your kids have. And I'm like, I don't. <laughs> and, I, and that's probably horrible. But I don't. I mean, I check in with them. Obviously, are you struggling in these areas? And if they're good, they're good. But I don't helicopter mom anymore because it was not good for my mental health. And it was not good for our relationship with the kids. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. And I probably have a little after a couple kids. Like, I do check it. Mm-hmm. Um I don't actually try to figure out whether they're doing well on it or not. I really just check and see, did they actually do the assignment? And um, if they did the assignment, then I'm generally going to say I, they didn't do well on it. Like, I may at some point do it. But I don't try to, like, hey, why did you only get a C on this? Um, I'm really just watching, hey, did, are they actually turning all this stuff in? Yes, that's what I look forward to. Are you actually doing the work? I'm trying to... I'm trying to reprioritize, like, listen, just because you got an, an F or a bad grade on this assignment or this test is just a me- not a measure of your aptitude. It's not a measure of your intelligence. It's just a measurement of that day you walked in, and that's the amount of material you knew on that day. And I'm trying to, like, prioritize it in my mind because I'm talking to, like, my, my, my college kid, and he's like, Mom, he goes, you got kids here taking Adderall. He says, so they could, not, not because they need it, because they need to stay up to be more productive. I'm watching my high school student who, after a long day at school, goes and plays a football game and comes home at 9 o'clock at night with a Red Bull in his hand. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, i got to pull an on-adder to get my workload done. And I'm like, what in the actual world? Like, what more are we going to be able to accomplish from the hours of 9 and midnight? I don't know. I just, I just feel like there's just so much pressure to perform and that their value is tied to, to, to their successes or failures that – I think that's what this toxic achievement is about. That it just it doesn't matter what I do; it's never going to be enough. We're going to put a pin in that right here. We're going to come back and talk a little bit more about toxic achievement, and we're going to actually unpack a little bit about King Saul and what we can learn from his life. But uh, we will go to a commercial break, and we will be right back. We hope you are enjoying today's show. We believe that God has given us a voice to impact communities and regions all over the world. If you would like to make sure that voice is heard, please partner with us today by visiting www.expressionradio.org and click donate. You can also text give by texting the dollar amount followed by the word radio to the number 84321. First time text givers, please choose Expression Church of Huntington when prompted. All gifts are tax deductible. Join us as we change the world. Well, welcome back, everybody. Before we went to a commercial break, we were in this conversation about toxic achievement and just the propensity that we have to just just chase successes and avoid failures and the pressure that we put and the value that we put on ourselves based on those um, on those achievements and those successes and it kind of bled into conversations that we were having in our own household like you know when does it when does it end 
right? So when, when is enough enough, right? So when do we get to a place where achieving and excelling and um, our accomplishments push us to a place where we compromise? Because we've gotten so used to layering ourselves with those things. So when people look at us, they see those things and they place value on us that we are no longer, we are so insecure at our core that if they knew who we really were, that they would reject us or devalue us, that we're so used to layering ourselves um, with accolades that we get to we get to a place where we will at some point compromise because inevitably that's just human nature, right? If you need to compromise, you'll compromise. Like like the instance with our son saying that there's kids taking you know Ritalin to stay up all night to be more productive. They're they're compromising. Um, and I can tell you that when you get in a space where accomplishment means that much to you, that you will compromise morally, you will compromise your faith, you will compromise your household, you will compromise your, your health, you will compromise so many things if that's where you find your value. And that's a very dangerous place to find yourself. It reminds me of uh, the story of King Saul when he was um, anointed and appointed king by Samuel. He was a he was he was given this leadership position he never asked for and really did not feel qualified for. Um, when you when you see his first response when when the, the prophet Samuel tells him that you know you're going to be the one to to take over and to steward God's people, he's like I'm the of the smallest of all the tribes, though he was a man of great stature. On the outside, he looked the part. He was very handsome. He, he um, stood a head taller than any of the other uh, people in his nation, um, and he was strong. He had brute strength. Outwardly, he looked the part, but his inward man was so insecure um, that his first response was, how could you possibly have gotten this right? And I don't think that's so far different than how we pick our leadership now, Doug. I think that we look at people, and if outwardly, outwardly they look the part, if outwardly they're a member of the right party, or outwardly they dress the right way, or say the right things, it doesn't even matter what the inward man looks like. They could be complete moral you know, degenerates, and it doesn't matter as long as the outside facade fits the bill. And that's what God's warning with the story. So the outside facade fit the bill. The inside man, though he was eager to please God, um, he had this deep-seated insecurity. Um, and you, that's pronounced, the, or it, that is highlighted the first time that um, he is supposed to be introduced to this group of people, these, this, 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 the Hebrew nation as their leader. They can't find him because he's hiding. Because he, he just he feels like, you know, they're calling, I'm being called into this position that I don't feel qualified for. But he loved God enough and he wanted to obey God enough that he was willing to step in that position even through those insecurities. Um, and then the, immediately you get this impression and like he had this pressure to perform, Doug, because for the first conflict that the Bible talks about that he had to deal with, um, it's this, this other nation is um, threatening to just really embarrass the Hebrews so they, they, they take him they threaten to take him into captivity and they said the only way we'll make a treaty with your people if we pluck out one of your eyes and it's just like this this demoralizing thing and it, it says that the spirit of God moves him to anger he's angry for the way his people are being treated and hit the way that he responds is he goes and he cuts up this ox and he and he gives it to every tribe within this nation and he said those who don't follow me will become like these ox and so he starts to lead from from a place of 
threatening and intimidation. Because I, I wonder if that insecurity that he have, he felt like they would not follow me just for me. I've got to layer myself. I've got to prove myself. There's a pressure to perform, and I don't know that they'll follow me into this battle just for me because they believe in me and my leadership. So I need to make them feel like if you don't, there will be a consequence. And I think that we should always be very leery of people who try to rule from that type of posture because loyalty never comes from threats. You'll never find fidelity in a threat um, or in the fear of losing something. It's like our son said to us the other day, you know, nationalism is is replacing patriotism because it's easier for leaders to get you to hate someone else than it is for you to love your own country. And I think there's probably some truth to that. I think if you really lean in and pay attention. So anyway, um, this insecurity that he has shifts to pride. Um, and you see that when he um, goes to battle with the Amalekites, um, that he has this insecurity about what these people will, will will think, the people he's leading will think, and he compromises what God has told him to do. And that is whenever God says, okay, then I'm, I'm you know, I have to, I, I'm rebuking you. I can't, I can no longer have you lead these people because when you were small in your own eyes, you know, Saul, whenever you, you felt like, you know, it had to be me to do it through you. You were on the right path. I could work through you. But now now you your insecurity has shifted into a place of pride where you no longer view yourself as a vessel that I work through. Now it has to be something that you do at your own hand. I see you writing feverishly, Doug. What's on your mind with that? <laughs> well, I just think it's interesting you were talking about insecurity and pride because those mm-hmm. two things shouldn't. There actually should be opposites. They should be oxymorons, right? Yeah, they should be opposites. Mm-hmm. So when you say pride in that context, I think that it may mean something like a different type of pride mm-hmm. um, than arrogance. Pride um, and arrogance are different to me. Yeah, I agree with that. So it's yeah. just interesting how you said that. Yeah. You put them opposed, opposed to each other. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes when I get to a place where I feel, and there's been lots of times I've done this, where I feel... Um, tempted to put my hands on something and fix it for myself and not even if I know that this isn't the direction God wants me to go in but I know if I do this thing it'll fix it then that's my pride I'm no longer relying on God who's given me directive I'm I'm, I'm leaning into Maria who can fix this thing with her own hand and that's pride Um, and sometimes I do that out of a sense of insecurity because I don't think the two are all, all, all too often opposite sometimes I think one bleeds into the other and is masked Sometimes pride can be masked as insecurity for me. Does that make sense? That makes sense. So anyway, you, you fast forward through um, the story, and um, God has now told Samuel, you know, he, he's not the guy. I'm going to raise up David, someone who has my own heart, who won't compromise. And Saul has, or Samuel has to go and, and deliver this to Saul, and you find him building the shrine to himself, right? So he's has this, he's building this reflection of himself to other people and you and I had this conversation about this other um, um, coin term that's called the imposter syndrome um, that you you get this impression like he feels almost like a fraud because he tells the prophet hey I just need you to come with me in front of these people so they don't understand that I've messed up right I just need you to I need you to make them feel like everything is okay like I haven't done anything wrong and you get this impression like if he if, if these people knew that knew the fraud that I am, I would lose everything, right? And so sometimes we build these shrines and we have to ask ourselves, you know, 
is this image that we're projecting to other people um, that we're layering for other people? Is this an image of what we want to be at some point, which is a good thing. It pushes you. Or is this a reflection of what we what we think they want us to be, which is very different? And it reminds me of the story, Doug. And then I'll let you talk. I can see you itching. Um, of our son. He went over the summer. He went to a board meeting with you. And um, he went to this meeting of, of a company that you run and um, that your father is on the board of. And he said, Mom, I had a, I was like, why? I had this feeling of, like, why am I here? Because I'm looking around this room of all these older men who work in this field um, who are so much more advanced than I am in age and, you know, a, you know accolades. And he goes, and I, I'm thinking, I am just a student why am I in this boardroom? I should be outside. And I said to him, you had every right to be in that boardroom. And he was like, why? And I'm like, do you desire to be in one of those chairs one day and have a voice at that table? He goes, absolutely. I'm like, that's why you deserve to be there. That's why you belong there. Give yourself the grace to be a beginner. Whenever you give yourself the grace to be a beginner and you look through the lens of when you're in a space of people that are more accomplished than you, you don't have to buckle underneath the intimidation of it. You can learn from the learn and glean from the environment because you know this is where I want to be one day. Now, if his view would have been, I don't belong here because I'll never be smart enough. I'll never be accomplished enough. I'll never I'll never be good enough to be in one of these positions. And that's a very different reflection. That's a reflection of I'm going to sit here and fake it, right? Um, because that's what they expect of me. Not that I'm giving this a reflection of confidence because this is where I one day want to be. Does that make sense? What do you think? I would agree with that. And most importantly um, is to trust when you feel that way. Mm-hmm. If somebody else is putting you in that position, clearly his grandfather and I thought this is something worthwhile. And even if I don't think I should be here, they think I should be there. I think God does that with all of us. That mm-hmm. He puts us in places sometimes before we think we're ready. So the question is, you want to trust God He's put you there. Yeah, and that's where kind of Saul kind of fell off the mark a little bit. He let his insecurity derail what God saw in himself, which I think is the really big, the biggest takeaway. If we could love ourselves and see ourselves the way that God sees us, and just really trust Him that He has equipped up us for the positions He's put us in, redefine what success looks like for us. That we're it is this is not a game where we're measuring ourselves against anybody else, though we have the propensity to do that. I really think that we would free ourselves to be a lot happier and a lot less anxious. And things like this toxic achievement wouldn't even be a thing if we could just learn, you know, that we would stay in our lane, I think, so much more. I don't know. I don't know. That's my words of wisdom, Sam, my little nugget of whatever. Take it or leave it. (laughs) Anyway, well, thank you, um, loyal listeners, uh, for tuning in with us today. We appreciate you all, and we will see you next week at the table. We hope you are enjoying today's show. We believe that God has given us a voice to impact communities and regions all over the world. If you would like to make sure that voice is heard, please partner with us today by visiting www.expressionradio.org and click donate. You can also text give by texting the dollar amount followed by the word radio to the number 84321. First time text givers, please choose Expression Church of Huntington when prompted. All gifts are tax deductible. Join us as we change the world.